Welcome to another Aflame teaching session. We hope you enjoy this special message by Hank Kleinschmidt. I think in this season we all are super aware, you know, of the fact that there is this uh, beckoning or yearning uh, from the side of God towards us, just for a deeper walk with Him. But it, you know, it's it's it, it goes two ways. Because on the one hand, it's it's us, you know, saying, "Listen, we want to press into something new with the Lord, like never before." So there's this yearning in our hearts. But at the same time, I can almost feel this yearning in His heart uh, to go into a whole deeper place with us than we've ever been before. You know, and. And I think that the cry of all of our hearts, despite the uh, frustration that we might face every now and again with lockdown or, you know, ideas, and we all go through emotions and moments where we feel, you know, this is awesome. And then we feel it's horrible. And, you know, then we just want to run away. And then we're overwhelmed with what's happening. And then we think it's not real. And then it is real. So who knows? I don't know. Anyway, so, but the point is, in the midst of all of this, I think the silver lining has been that, that, that there is this, this call and and you know opportunity in Jesus to to see something that we haven't seen before to grow in our walk with him like we've never walked with him before and it comes from both sides it's him saying this and it's us responding in the same way saying Lord we want to step into something different with you and I think everybody can agree that that's kind of been the theme all throughout of of what God's been saying over and over in the season and yet also at the same time, it's kind of hard sometimes to be able to step into that and to really get that moving in a different direction. And what I'm hoping to do tonight is kind of share with you. I'm, I'm, there's kind of two parts of the message and I want to share something just to kind of awaken something in you about what, what his desire is in this season and what it's always been and actually why he came. Um, you know, th there's this desire. God is looking for friends. I don't know if you agree with me, but God is in this season. He's looking for friends. He's looking for people that he can entrust his heart to, that he can entrust secrets to, that he can entrust mysteries and, and revelations about the future. You know, God is looking for confidence or he's looking for people that will take John 15, 7 seriously, that will abide in him, you know, that will really be present that's what it, that word abide in John 15 verse 7, it means to be present in God. It's to be present in him and let his word live in you and let his word remain in you. Because if you do that, ask whatever you want and I will give it to you. So it's this blank check that the Lord gives us, but it does begin with a condition and the condition is abide in me. And I know through genealogy, through uh, you know, the fact that we're born again, that's already happened. We're already rooted and grafted into him. But, but it's one thing to have a theology about something, and it's a completely different thing to actually live it and experience it. You know, and, and his desire is for us to go in a place way beyond what we know. And what I mean, I'm, I'm going to expand on it a little bit throughout the night, but we have to get beyond what, what is humanly conceivable and step into a different place of relationship with God. And, and when I speak tonight, I want you to kind of switch off for a minute. I'm not talking about miracle signs and wonders tonight. I'm not talking about 
trances and visions tonight. I, I want to talk about a relationship with God. And I want to talk about what he had in mind when he died on the cross, what that makes you and what walking with him looks like. If we get understanding of this reality about, about who he is, because it, it's supposed to be above and beyond anything we can understand or conceive. The minute that we understand too much in a certain way, we, we're kind of on dangerous ground. And I'll step into that a little bit later. So don't get freaked out yet. But Jesus kept saying things. The Gospel of John is probably the most mysterious or, you, you know, it, it's the Gospel that releases something so much about the heart of Christ that the others doesn't. And it pulls us back because John was the love apostle, right? He was the guy who put his head on the chest of Jesus. Uh, you know, he's the one that saw the book of Revelation. He's, he's just, he's this love apostle. And there was his um, unity with God that just that unlocked the world to us that we didn't quite understand. And I, I think we still don't understand it. I know I'm not quite there yet. But the reality is that, that Jesus kept saying over and over in, in the Gospel of John, in John 14, the first couple of verses, he said, listen, I'm going somewhere and you can't come there with me, but I'm going to prepare a place for you, right? And I know we all have this picture of mansions and, and that might be right. But, but, but that place was something completely different. That, that was a place of union with God. It was a place of being one with the divine, being one with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he said, the only way you can get there is I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the door. There's no other way. And then later in John 14, he says, you will do the same works and greater works. So, it's not that I'm trying to put miracles. I mean, you guys know me. I'm all for it. That's kind of, you know, desire. But I'm talking about something different tonight where he invites us into a story, where he invites us into something that we need to start grabbing a hold of and, and just go for it like, like never before. You know, um, in John 17, he does the same thing. He says, Father, let them be one. That whole thing, we are one and he's in us and we're in him. And let them be with me where I am. Remember that? Where he, this was actually, I want you to think about this. This was a heartfelt prayer by Jesus in John chapter 17, verse 20 to 24. It's one of the most beautiful prayers. It's before he's, he's going to the cross. So it's, it's like this, you know, this heartfelt prayer of the Son of God that says, Father, I, I desire something. And my desire is that these guys sitting with me and everybody that will believe because of them, I want them to be with me where I'm going to be, right? And Jesus, I mean, that's like mind-blowing already to me. And then he goes on, so that they can behold the glory, the same glory that I had from before the foundation of the earth, that they can behold it, right? And, and you have to, let me say this nicely, but, but you have to be ignorant if you think he's speaking about the day that we die when he's praying that. Because that doesn't make any sense in the context of the prayer. Because the whole prayer was about people that will believe in him, people that's, that has faith in him that's going to move into something different. So he's talking about a reality that he's pulling us into. He's pulling us through into that reality because of what he's going to endure the next couple of days, which would be his death and resurrection. Right? So he's inviting us into this thing. And he's saying, I want you to be with me where I am. It's it's heavenly places and it's, yes, we are seated with him in heavenly places, but it was about a position in God 
and a relationship with God that is supposed to change everything so that it looks like back to the Garden of Eden again, where we walked with him in the cool of the day, where we had unbroken fellowship, unbroken communion with God, because there was nothing in between us and him. There was no sin. There was no guilt, no shame. No, no, there was no distraction. God was everything in that place. There was nothing outside of him. Everything was centered around God in that moment. And that's where he wants to take us back to constantly. That was the point. He's pulling us back into Eden. He's pulling us back into the place of bliss or, or relationship, however you want to see that. Um, you know, one of the verses that shaped, or I mean, we all know that Peter, basically the apostle Peter, his, his theology was basically what shaped the early church, the first and second century. Basically, he was the bedrock of the church, what he taught. And one of the verses that, that formed such a foundational block in, in that belief was, was found in 2 Peter 1, verse 3 to 4. If you want to go there with me, you're welcome. So it's 2 Peter 1, uh, verse 3 to 4. And um, it's a famous verse. I, I think it, I'm either reading the Amplifier or the Passion. I'm not sure which one. It says, for his divine, his divine power has bestowed upon us all things that are requisite and suited to life and godliness through the full personal knowledge of him who called us by and to his own glory and excellence. So I want you to see, just pause there for a minute. So his divine power has bestowed on us everything that we need, everything that is necessary to live a godly life. So there's something about his power that positioned us for a godly life. Godly life to me is about character. It's about nature, right? It's about the nature of who we're to become. His power did it. How do we get there? Through the knowledge, full personal knowledge of him who called us by and to his own glory. Remember that word glory and excellence, right? So there's this power released over us so that we can walk in godliness that pulls us into the glory of God through what? The knowledge of him. So again, it goes back to there's an exchange when, when knowledge and revelation start flowing between us and God, where this relationship, where we become knitted together with him, that something is released in the midst of us like we've not seen or experienced before. You know, there's something special that happens in this place that, that God is, is releasing. Then the next verse, it says, by means of these, he has bestowed on us his precious and exceedingly great promises so that through them you may escape from the moral decay, rottenness and corruption that is in the world because of covetousness, lust and greed and become sharers or partakers of the divine nature. Isn't that phenomenal? So he, he says there, there's something that's going to happen, like these promises of God is going to pull you out of moral decay. So again, it speaks about the moral fabric of who we are. It speaks about the sin issue. It speaks about the sin issue was dealt with on the cross, but holiness is something that we grow into, right? It's something that keeps on developing in our life. He calls us holy, but you need to grow up. That's why scripture says that we grow into the head, which is Christ. Meaning there's a head, there's a, there's a reality of who he is, 
but the body grows into that head, grows into that revelation. So although you are holy, righteous, and justified by the work of the blood and of the cross, there is a process of holiness that needs to take, and we become partakers of the divine nature. I want you to just, just for a minute, really think about that, that the divine nature becoming the divine nature, that has always been the goal. It's always been that, that the image and likeness of God in us has to be restored. And when Jesus came, that was what he accomplished. That was the goal. He opened the door so that we can step into something that the divine nature could be what we carry in our being. So it's, it, it's literally that we become who he is, right? It, it's, it's literally that we are like him, right? We are born again into the image and likeness of who he is. So it's back to Genesis 1, because out of that nature, that divine nature, dominion starts flowing around us wherever we go and creation needs to respond and respond and all of these things needs needs to happen you you'll, you'll remember charlie said something that the early church fathers that when they looked at god they saw two things they saw the essence of god and the energies of god now that sounds super strange but that to them was very normal language right so when they thought about god they, they looked at the essence which would be the nature of god and they looked at the energies, which would be the power of God. And what I mean with the power, I mean he's working out towards us. That means grace, mercy, love, righteousness, miracle signs and wonders. But the point was that, he's, that his essence, uh, the, the goal was the essence of God, that we will become divine nature, will be who we are. But the energies of God was the invitation that pulled us into that place where we actually become love, where we literally become agape love like he is. Because that has always been the goal. The goal has always been that we will reflect him in everything that we do, that we will become the very expression of God on the face of the earth. That is the image and likeness. It, that, that this whole invitation, this, this bedrock was that you will become a partaker of a divine nature. The early church looked at this, and this is what they saw as the goal of the cross. They saw nothing less. They, they believed that this is where we are supposed to move. That's why in 1 John 1 verse 7, it says we can have unbroken fellowship with him in the light, right? What does that mean? In the light, it speaks about it speaks about openness where sin is forgiven, where our sin has been removed, and we have untethered or unhindered access. So it's back to the glory that they have in Eden. It's back to the glory that Jesus had with the Father before the foundations of the earth, before anything fell. So it's unbroken, perfect communion with the Lord, with nothing intersecting in that, nothing dividing me from God. That was the goal because divine nature flows out of that place. And we are supposed to be like him. Do you agree? Right? If, if you're alive, just comment or do something. But I just know you're out there, right? Because you, you are supposed to be like him. Right? And I want to ask this question because I, I want to take it a little bit deeper because nothing that I've said so far is new. Do you understand that? Nothing that I've said so far you haven't heard before. You've heard every single one of the things that I mentioned, right? 
Yet Paul writes about it, uh, Colossians 1.27, and he says that it's Christ in me, the hope of glory, right? And then he goes on, he says, this is the mystery that has been hidden for the ages, is that it's Christ in me, the hope of glory, right? Because what was the point? The essence of God, the nature of God restored so that I can live with him in his glory. That was the goal. It was being one with God. And like I said, nothing of this is outside of our grid in some way. It, it, it's, it's scripture. You've heard it said before. This is not new in any way. Yet, as I was just sitting, moving over this stuff this afternoon, and I'm going to go a little bit deeper. Is that okay? That was kind of the foundation. The, the thing that blows me away about it is that even as I'm saying this, I literally feel like Paul that, you know, in Philippians where he says, Philippians 3, he says, well, you know, one thing I desire, one thing is that I might know him well, know the riches of his glory, that I might share in the sufferings. And then he goes on, he says, I've not attained to this at all. I've not reached to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But one thing I do is that I let go of what's behind and I reach into what, what's ahead of me. And the point is, as I'm looking at this today, I realize that so much of this is still knowledge. And we have to get beyond knowledge into the mystery of fellowship and the nature of God. There's a place in him where we need to go that it, where we lack words to describe what is happening relationally between us and God. I'm not talking about your visions and your dreams, although those things are awesome, don't get me wrong. But I'm talking about we're still relating to God in a natural way, and we're supposed to relate with Him in a supernatural way that is out of our mind, out of our understanding. By the way, that was the word that they used for ecstasy in the early church. And ecstasy was an experience where literally you had the ability to look at a situation outside of yourself. Does it make sense? So it was the ability to get out of your mind into the spirit and out of the spirit, you look into the truth about the gospel of God and that thing shapes you and changes you. So we have to step into the mystery. I, I want, I mean, think about Paul's writings, right? Because Paul is is super smart guy. We all agree, right? Super intelligent. I mean, uh, you know, a student of, of Hamalil. He, he was amazing. He was a rock star, you know, Jew. That's basically the long and the short. And then he writes, and 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 Ephesians, and over and over, he's the guy that speaks about him, him in him. He's the guy that speaks about the mystery, which is Christ. He's the guy that over and over prays and says that we need strength. To understand the love of God. We, we actually cannot comprehend this thing in our understanding. Our bodies cannot handle it. We cannot fathom what this thing is about. There's a supernatural grace that we actually need just to get what happened on the cross, just to get what he made available for us, what is open in relationship with him. It's like, you know, you know the more I look at him, the more I see a guy that just sits and is frustrated because there's no words to describe how do I get myself how do I get people into this relationship of absolutely being lost in an incredible God that is bigger than what you can think or imagine or understand that is bigger than what you can contain physically 
because it, it's too much. You need grace to step into this love of God. You need grace to step into a deeper understanding about who he is. And that's where he wants to take us into where it's not about knowledge and words and thoughts anymore, but it's a deep connection with God that cannot be described other than you're one with him. And I don't even know, I don't even exactly know what that means, but I know there's a deep blessing, secret, richness in this thing that I haven't tapped into, you know, and, and maybe you have, I've had moments, but I know there's, there's an invitation into him that goes above and beyond whatever we see. And when I look at the early church, they, they used language that, that to me puts this thing into a whole different perspective of understanding for me personally. And I'm going to use these words, and these words are dangerous. <laughs> and some of you are not going to like them, maybe, but I need you to hang in there and listen to what I have to say. Just remember, if you go on the internet right now and you tap in prophetic ministry, you're going to get a bunch of stuff that tells you how bad and how dangerous it is. If you type in charismatic movement, you're going to hear how bad it is. If you type in anything, you're going to hear how bad it is. Because there is no movement, there is no uh, um, theology that, that there's always somebody that perverts something. You know, there's always something that, that, that makes something that was beautiful, ugly, and then we go, oh no, we can't touch that. So I don't want you to, to just to open your hearts and your spirits and just listen. Because what they believed is, they, they believed that normal Christian life, a normal Christian is a relational Christian. It was about relational Christianity for them. And they believed to be a relational Christian, to be a normal, what we would deem a Christian, would be the following, that there is a marriage between two concepts that needs to take place. Now, this is heavy theology and heavy teaching, so bear with me, right? I hope we're going to get somewhere. But it, the two things that had to marry, according to them, was theology, right? Sound theology. Theology is the study of God. And another word that they used, so don't jump off now, I'm watching. The other word was mysticism, right? Mystery. So it was theology and mystery. And these two, according to them, had to come together for you to have a normal walk with Jesus, right? So it was sound theology and mysticism, and the one wasn't above the other. These two formed a, a fullness, a whole, that came together, and that created a normal Christian, somebody that walked in a way that was pleasing unto the Lord, right? Now, the word mystic or mysticism is a word that has been perverted. Mysticism has been perverted. And, and But again, I want you to see this comes from church history. This is not a word that the occult figured out or Eastern. This, this, I'm not talking about that. We're, that. That's a different show and we're not on that one right now. But the, the one mystic, according to the Oxford Dictionary, the word mystic. So we are supposed to be mystics, right? Which you are in any way. But a mystic, according to the Oxford Dictionary, it defines it like this. It's a person who seeks by contemplation and self-surrender to obtain unity with 
or absorption into God. Or who believes in the spiritual apprehension of truths but are beyond the intellect. Right? So I want if if you listen to that, there's no ways that that is not who I want to be. <laughs> right? There's just no ways that that is not what I believe. God has always wanted us to be, right? It's to be absorbed into him and to seek him out through self-surrender and contemplation, to be absorbed into God. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did by grace? That's exactly what, what Jesus did by grace. He opened the door so that you can be one with God, that you can walk in this union with God. You see, but the early church believed that theology and mysticism has to come together because if you have just the one or just the other there's a problem on both sides if you just have mysticism without solid theology you have a big problem there will be lots of errors if you just have theology without mysticism then you're also going to have a big problem and it's called law and death and religion right so both is necessary to get something together to pull something together that creates a walk with the lord that has depth to it that takes you into a place that is out of your mind, but it's a spirit connection with God that will influence body, soul, and spirit. Everything will be affected by this walk. Everything will be touched by this. And you will become a different person. It's the most practical Christianity the more you look at it. Because the goal is you become love, right? The goal is that out of this place you become love. You don't try and become love, but you actually become it because He floods you with His grace and it flows all over you and it starts touching everywhere around you. It was never about how high you can find the spirit, how many, whatever you can visit or how many visions. That is a side product of this union with God. And I love all of those things. Don't get me wrong. But the point was that you're one with God, that you have the nature of God and that shapes you and that transforms you and it changes you, you know, uh, they saw it like this because <laughs> listen to this if you read the early church fathers their definition of a theologian was this can i just read it to you they said theologians was a mystic because anyone could learn the knowledge of scripture even if they had an impure heart <laughs> so they they said there's no ways you can call yourself a theologian unless you're somebody that walks in a deep connection in oneness with god because anybody can memorize scripture even a parrot can right so their definition of theologian was somebody who walked in an experience revelation revelational knowledge with god that flooded their being so it was way beyond knowledge it stepped into god revealing himself to man and that revelation changing our nature so that we become like him. That's a completely different story. They never believed that it can be about reading five steps and getting the theology right and understanding this guy's theology and that guy's theology. That was never what they believed. That's a Greek mindset. That's a, that's, that's a mind. That's, that's a teaching thing instead of an experiential thing where I'm one with God and out of that, everything flows and life abounds within me, right? Because remember, they didn't have the New Testament. They only had the Old Testament. Never forget that. So everything that they got 
was out of this relationship with Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And out of that, everything that we live today was birthed out of that revelation. Isn't that phenomenal? They didn't have a New Testament. They lived it. They wrote it. All they had was Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And they believed that their nature is his nature and his nature is their nature and therefore there can be unbroken communion and fellowship and out of that revelation and life will flow and my being will be changed so that i look like him that i impact everything around me right that's why creation is longing for the sons who are these sons right it's the mature sons it's sons that walked in the sevenfold spirit of God. It's sons that were drenched in this nature of God. And it says that all creation groans. It's crying out for the revelation of these ones. Why? Because these ones are walking in, in the resurrection glory of God. And creation actually responds to that because it was created in that. And it's been waiting for that. But it's looking for somebody to be restored what Adam had and Jesus did it for us and to walk in that dominion again so that all of creation can come into alignment with God. And all of that happens because I'm one with God. It's about the nature of God in me. It's about becoming a partaker of a divine nature, right? It, the words are clear. It's you become a partaker of the divine nature right you are righteous you are holy but you become that there's a journey to be walked in that there's there's a process that happens in that um i want to say something real quick because i'm talking about some things that i don't like about some of the movement around the mystics and all of that and, and one of the things that i think went wrong is that people mixed the mystic a mystic and the seer realm it's two different things a seer is a gift set that comes on a prophetic person. Everybody can see, I believe that. But a mystic is somebody that walks in, in relationship with God, right? Do, do you understand? That's a big difference, okay? And we mix this stuff and we put so much pressure on people because this one feel I don't see and I don't have this experience and that experience, but you are deeply connected to God. You walk in oneness with the Lord much more than the guy with the seer gift that maybe has a gift that's flashing off and it's awesome, but he doesn't have a relationship with God. Do you understand that you can be a seer and not have a deep relationship with God, just like you can be a miracle worker and not have a deep relationship with God? Because it's a gift. It's a grace on your life. But a mystic is somebody that yearns to be one with God, that yearns to see God beyond the limitations of our own human knowledge and ability and to step into the divine just the depth of who he is without limitations and to get lost in that ocean of his grace and love without anything hindering us from that place. That's a mystic. That's mysticism at its very root. It's to know him deeper than any human understanding can take us. That's what he wants for us, right? Mysticism was never intended to be an escape from our feelings, right? That wasn't the thing. It wasn't an escape of your emotions. It was never intended to be occultism. It was never intended to be self-consciousness because that's Eastern mysticism. Everything is you become self-conscious. We don't. 
that's the last thing we want to do. We, we want to absolutely get rid of all self-consciousness because it's horrible. Self-righteousness, self-justification. We want to get out of that and we're going to get drowned in the grace of God and we're going to dive into who He is. So we become so God-conscious that everything around us cannot but see Him. That's who we are. Mysticism was never supposed to be a religious, uh, a rebellious spirit that goes against sound theology, right? It was never supposed to be that. It was always a marriage between sound theology and spiritual depth in our walk with the Lord. That was the intention. Mysticism was never about looking for experiences that created an elitism in the body of, of Christ. It was never about that. Mysticism was never about a group of people that hides in a house or in a closet somewhere and isolates himself from the needs of the world. It was never that either. It was always about connecting with God so that you can display the nature and the essence of God everywhere that you go. It was us becoming love. That was the idea behind it. That was God's dream. That was Jesus' dream in his heart was that we go into that place. They, they had a word. Listen, and I, I'm, whew, all right, hold on. So John 13, if you look at the mystics, John 13, according to them, was one of the greatest mystical chapters in the Bible. And you know what it was about? It was about Jesus washing the feet of the apostles. And then he looked at them and he said, now you go and do the same to other people. To the mystics, that was the greatest mystic chapter almost in the Gospel of John. It was when Jesus came and he said, I'll clean you. And then he said, now go and do the same to those around you. It was humble. It was servanthood. It was loving people and just seeing everything that I do as something that I do unto the Lord. That was the heart about the divine nature, about stepping into a place that we've never stepped into before. But it is so deep that you cannot but wash the feet of the person next to you because you see him for who he is in God. And you don't see yourself as elite or higher or anything, but you see yourself as one who's under the master. And if they did it to him, they're going to surely do it to you. If it was good enough for him, then surely that we can do it. That was the heart of this thing, right? They used the word. Are you guys still all right? Whew. They used the word. Um, and this is going to cause a stir. But again, can you just listen before you make up your mind? They, they say that, the whole point was theosis. I don't know if you've ever heard of the word theosis. It was a very common in Orthodox uh, theology. And when I mean Orthodox, I mean early church, right? And the concept with theosis, it was married with a different word. And the word was perichoresis. I don't even know how to say that properly. But these two words were married together. And within that, the whole concept of the divine nature was captured, right? That was, that, that was the truth that these guys held on to. And all of it comes out of what Jesus said and Paul said and Peter taught. And this is where it came from, right? And the concept with theosis and that other word I'm not going to repeat was that you actually step into a place where the relationship that the Trinity has with each other 
But that's the level of relationship that we can have with God. The way that the Trinity relates and communes and where it's unbroken, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that they believe because of the grace that Jesus released, that you actually step into that kind of a relationship with God. And I want you to think about that. Oh, man, this thing messes me up the whole day. Now, we, you can step into a place. I mean, think about the Trinity. They are completely one. Yet they function in a different way, right? They, they have different functions, but they're completely one. And there's nothing hindering the one from the other. It's so confusing to mankind. We cannot even fathom the concept of the Trinity fully yet. We believe it, but it's out of our understanding. And yet, this is what they believe, that because of the divine nature, we can relate in this way to our Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. That is to me like, I don't even know what that must feel like to be with God in such a way that I can be so one with Him that this is the truth that I live out of, you know, it, it, it actually meant that we become by grace what he is by nature. Right? I mean, think about that. We become by grace what he is by nature. And that means we become God-like, right? You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. What does that make you? Makes you God-like. Does it make you God? Of course not. But it makes you God-like. Your very essence is that of God, right? Jesus said something that rocked the religious world in John 10, verse 34. He said, does not your scripture say that you are gods with a small letter? Jesus said it. Jesus said to the Pharisees, and he's quoting Psalm 82, where God says, I'm going to sit in the room and, and, and I'm going to say, listen, um, are you not God? Where are the gods? I'm standing among the gods with a small letter. That's actually us, right? That's us. You can never be higher than God. I need you to get that. That's not for a minute what I or any of them say. But Jesus is saying something about your identity, about who you are, about the divine nature that actually takes hold of you. And this is who you become, right? You become God-like in your very essence, in your very being. That's who you are. Us becoming by grace what he is by nature. 1 John 4, 17. We love that verse. As he is, so we are in this world. What does he look like now? He's the glorified, transformed, transfigured Christ, resurrected life, resurrection life flowing through his being, sitting at the right hand of the Father, having the same glory that he had before the foundation. And then Jesus goes and, and John, uh, the apostle writes, and he says, you have that same nature now. Now. We have it now. How do you get it? Divine nature, union with God, theosis, right? It's becoming like him. And having this relationship where there's no hindrance between you and him. I know this is a lot of stuff. Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> and our mind is transfigured. Our heart and our mind and our spirit and our being 
is being transfigured into this through what we contemplate, what we think of, what we set our minds on. That's why Paul writes in Colossians 3 verse 1 to 4, and he says, set your minds on the things which are above, right? Set your minds on throne room realities. He's saying meditate, contemplate on that nature of Christ, because that is actually who you are. That's who we become. And Origen, who was the father of mysticism, he was a spiritual son. I think he was the second after John. And he, he writes this. He says, the human and divine natures, it, were, it was united in Christ, right? That was the, the, the whole point. When Jesus came, he displayed divinity and he displayed God, but he emptied himself, Philippians 2, of all godly nature so that he fully displayed man, but he was fully possessed by the Holy Spirit, right? He was fully consumed by the Spirit of God in that moment. So Jesus comes and he displays this in order that communion with what is divine, human nature might become divine, not only in Jesus, but in all those who by faith embrace the life that Jesus has taught and which leads to friendship and community with God. Isn't that phenomenal? Right By grace and by faith, we step into that divine nature. We feast on the nature of God. Listen, that's why communion is such a big deal. We, we still don't get it because you actually eat, you feast on the nature, the blood and the flesh of Christ. It, it's, it's feasting on the very essence of who he is so that his nature becomes our nature. That's what David spoke about last week when he said the word must cut us, right? It must get into us. It must, you know, our, uh, our marrow must change, right? It's this whole divine nature that needs to step out and something needs to happen. I, I, I'm going to read one more quote and then I'll stop quoting. I know it's exhausting, but I want you to listen to C.S. Lewis. I almost fell off my chair. I mean, C.S. Lewis was this phenomenal writer. He wrote this in Mere Christianity. Just listen to, to what he says here. He says, I mean, he says, the command, be ye perfect, is not idealistic gas, nor is it a command to do the impossible. He is going to make us into creatures that, that can obey that command. He said in the Bible that we were gods, and he's going to make good his words if, if we let him. For we can prevent him if we choose. He will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a god or goddess, dazzling, radiant, immortal creatures, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright stainless mirror which reflects back to him perfectly, though of course, course on a smaller scale his own boundless power and delight and goodness I mean, when i read that just blew my mind just the concept that god says i'm gonna so you are gonna so look like me that you're gonna be the perfect reflection of who i am you're gonna be the mirror of who i am to creation and yes you're always gonna be less excuse me than him but you are gonna be a stainless mirror you're going to be clean and you're going to radiate God back into all of creation. It's actually going to be like Adam. When God looks at us, he's going to see himself. And when we look at God, we're going to see ourselves. 
that divide is going to break. And that has always been the desire of the Lord. But you see, this place is not something you access through knowledge. This is not something that you, I mean, I'm talking about this and my mind goes, I don't even know how to, how do you, but I know it's the heart of God. And knowledge cannot take me there. Understanding cannot take me there. It, it's spirit to spirit. It's, it's way beyond what we can fathom in our heads. That's why it says in him we live and move and have our being. It's, it's to be completely lost in who he is and to let go of all of that. You see, Jesus wanted to redeem our mortal nature, but he also wanted the transformation of our whole being into resurrection glory, right? Our whole being into resurrection glory. I want that to sink in a little bit. He wanted to transfigure us like he went on the Mount of Transfiguration. That was his goal with us. He wanted us to look like that, radiant, blazing. Yes, in, in our fleshly bodies, but radiant, just pulsating God wherever we go. This, this is a place of deep, deep intimacy. And we have to get out of our, our heads to step into that. There's another guy who said the St. Bernard, um, also an early church father. father. <laughs> I think I'm getting drunk. And he says, it's about all the qualities of true and pure love, which, which takes us out of ourselves and, and transform us in God. To be thus affected is to become one with God. Isn't that awesome? Is to be so affected with God that it's true love, pure love that radiates out of us wherever we go. It's becoming a partaker of the divine nature. And what this does, it actually awakens awe and wonder in our walk with him again. Do you understand? So many of us, myself included, we go through seasons and times and and the relationship with him feels dead. But what he wants to do is he wants to restore the awe and the wonder in this season in our lives. But it comes through this union where it's out of our minds and into a deeper place where, where we actually see God in a way we've never seen before, where we become who he is, one with God, one with the divine. It's about finding meaning in everything that we do for all of it is unto him, right? If we become love, if we become the expression of love, then whatever we do, if it's picking up a paper, if it's, you know, spending time with my kids, if it's going to work, if it's changing the nappy, if it's cooking, if it's cleaning, I, everything I'm doing, I'm doing it unto the Lord because when I'm cleaning, I am serving someone, right? I'm blessing a house. I'm blessing a mother. I'm blessing father of the house i'm helping the children or when when i do these silly things silly things but but when i actually see that in it that it's an act of love it's an act of devotion unto the lord then suddenly everything becomes connection with god everything becomes a point of connecting with the lord when i'm running or working out or whatever but i realize that the gift of working out is a connection point with god and everything is about that connection with him and it builds my oneness with God. By the way, that's what Brother Lawrence lived, right? Uh, if you haven't read the book, it's a free download. You get it on the internet. Brother Lawrence practicing the presence of God, right? 
everything to him was connection. Everything, whether he chopped carrots or whether he had to, you know, uh, go and buy wine, uh, you know, at the market, which he had to do. And he hated that because he was real holy. He believed in holiness. And whatever he did, he saw everything he saw as a moment of yielding into the Lord, yielding into God, letting go of self and connecting with the nature of God so that oneness can be what flows out of that place. Um, it, it, it became his, his desire was just simply to set his heart on God in everything that he's doing. You know, he's, he said at one point in one of the letters that he wrote, he said that it's not about the form. It's not, it's not about the form of connecting with God. And what he was trying to say, because, you know, he grew up in a very religious kind of environment, you know, in a monastery and all of that. So they had these written prayers, which is not a bad thing, by the way. But, but a lot of that can fall into form real quick. And, and, and he kept saying, but it's not about that. It's, it's not about how many chapters you read today, although it's awesome. It's not about how many hours you spend praying in tongues, although it's awesome. But he said it, it was about connecting every moment of my life with him and finding out how pleasing it is to God when I do that, right? It was turning the heart to this place constantly, just saying, I don't even know what to do, but I'm turning my heart to you. As I'm picking up this paper, Lord, let it be unto you. As I'm helping my wife do something, let it be unto you. Let it be this act of devotion. You see, when we step into that, then God consumes every part of our life. God is not in a corner anymore. He's not in the prayer closet only, although we should be there. But he's everywhere. And he's in everything that we're doing, right? There's this awakening that needs to come on the inside, you know. And as I was thinking about this stuff, is it okay if I keep going a little bit? Are you guys still all right? All right. So... As I kept looking at this thing, if you want, you can go to Song of Songs, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. And I, and I want to read this and just show you something. I want you to see the bride here because she's crying out. I love the Song of Songs in the Passion Translation. I just actually understand it when I read it in there. So uh, I'm reading out of that. Uh, and it, It's beautiful. And... Um, but I want you to see something in this verse because there's a connection. There's this cry in the heart of the bride for the king, right? Who is Jesus? It's this play between the bride and the king. You all know that. But, but this is what it says. It says, night after night, I'm tossing and turning on my bed of travail. Why did I let him go from me? How my heart now aches for him, but he is nowhere to be found. So I must rise in search of him, looking throughout the city, seeking until I find him. Even I have to roam through every street. Nothing will keep me from my search. Where is he? My soul's true love. He is nowhere to be found. Then I encountered the overseers as they encircled the city. So I asked them, have you found him, my heart's true love? Just as I moved past them. You see, the point is... It, it, I want to pause there. It, it's about, it's happening in the nighttime. The night represents mystery. It's not evil, right? Because nights aren't evil. It's just mystery. God appeared in the dark cloud to Israel. Over and over in the Psalms, you see how God appears in the dark cloud. There's no evil around God. 
The dark cloud speaks of mystery. It speaks of the unknown. It speaks of a place where you go into God, where your mind cannot fathom what's about to unfold. And she sits in the night and she's tossing and she's turning. It's out of what's comfortable. It's not in the day. It's not what's known. It's the unknown that's keeping her awake. It's the unknown that's stirring something inside of her. It's like, I know there's something in God that I haven't seen, that I haven't experienced. And this thing stirs on the inside. And she starts running and she realized she missed the moment, right? But then there is this awakening. Listen, I want you to say, say awakening. Right? There's an awakening now. This is an awakening. This is what it is. This isn't a teaching. This is supposed to awaken something in our spirits. It's an awakening, right? There's this awakening taking place. And she says, I need to find them at all costs. I have to find this place of union with God. And she runs through the city. She says, I don't care where I need to look. I'm going to find them. I'm going to find intimacy with him. And then it's beautiful because she says, she asks the elders, where is he? This is the point. You have to move beyond certain people to find what you're looking for, right? Some people have led you in a certain way and, and they're always going to need that. But, but some things you cannot figure out based on somebody else's revelation. It has to be you. Do you hear me? It has to be your connection with God. No pastor, no apostle, no prophet, no revivalist can create a connection for you with God. That's you. It's all you and the Holy Spirit and Jesus and grace, right? She moves beyond that and finally she sees him. Uh, just as I moved past him, I encountered him. I found the one I adore. I caught him and fastened myself to him refusing to be feeble in my heart again. Now I'll bring him back to the temple within where I was given new birth into my innermost part, the place of my conceiving. You see, this is like, this is who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be this lady, this woman, this person that wakes up and we run and we find this union and we say it's in the deepest place of who we are, where he conceived us. It's for born again life, but it's that quickening. It's Hebrews 6 that says we have this anchor of the soul that is tied to the mercy seat in the throne room of heaven that cannot be broken, that cannot be. But we have to, we have to become aware of what is already released. And this is this awakening. It's, it's in the unknown. We have to go into the unknown of relationship with him. And this is not a weird thing that it's not elitism it's not secret knowledge it's it's not that but god has something for everyone in this talk everyone in this room god has something that he wants to release to you that is so unique to who you are that nobody else can fathom and you're going to bring that out and you're going to become what you've seen and you're going to release it into the world and it's going to be a blessing to the body of christ because there's another mystic union, and that's actually the body, and we'll talk about that at a later point. But there's this another mystery that's called this weird body of God, right? The body of Christ. And you come out, and you become that. And we get lost in wonder. And the problem is the minute that revelation, the minute that knowledge governs, we come to a place where we say there's nothing new to discover in God. And if there's nothing new to discover, that means you figured him out. And that means he cannot be God anymore. Make sense? 
if you have a handle on the one you worship fully, then he cannot be worthy of being God. Right? There always has to be space for us to explode into a deeper realm of who he is because he's higher than us. His ways are higher. He's unending. His power is unending. The knowledge, the, the value, everything about him is unending. There's no limit to who he is. But our knowledge can limit, our approach into intimacy can limit us to experience that place in God. Right? I hope you guys are still with me. If it stays in the known, known, we have limited him to our understanding. And we cannot do that. We cannot do that. This mystery, this relationship has to go beyond words. It has to go to a place where we struggle to describe this connection with God that we have. Where it's hard to put it in words because it's deep and it's a spirit thing. And it's like, how do you describe something so deep how do you describe being one with the creator i mean how do you even this how do you even put that into words that the thoughts of god actually become yours that the nature of god actually becomes who we are how do you even put that into words fully right it's it's too deep it's too heavy it's too weighty and it has to be that and that's where we need to step into. We have to step in a place where our relationship is so weighty, full of peace and joy and love, but it's just this heavy thing that sits in our spirit, which is so exciting and awesome, that takes us into places where we've never, ever been before. It's relating to him as the Trinity relates to each other. Guys, I can't get over that. It's relating to God as they relate to each other. It's stepping into that kind of a relationship with the divine nature and being and essence of God, right? That's why it says, take up your cross daily. Matthew 16, 24, it says, then Jesus said to his disciples, you all know this, if you truly want to follow me, you should at once completely reject and disown your own life. And you must be willing to share my cross and experience it as your own as you continually surrender to my ways. The point is that as we take that cross, as we surrender to his ways, we step into that place where you can see and you can become the manifestation of what he prayed in John 17. Father, let them be with me where I am and see the glory, right? We can step into that if we let our own ways go. We can deny ourselves, deny our passions in that way. And, and it's about stepping into just absolute surrender into the love of God, into being who he wants us to be. That's what it's about. It's just letting go completely. <laughs> Brother Lawrence said, think often on God by day, by night, in your business and even in your diversions. He said, he is always near you and with you. Leave him not alone. Isn't that awesome? Another thing that he said, he said, we should fix ourselves firmly in the presence of God by conversing all the time with him. We should feed our soul with a lofty conception of God. 
and from that derived great joy in being his. We should put life in our faith. We should give ourselves utterly to God in pure abandonment, in temporal and spiritual matters alike, and find contentment in the doing of his will, whether he takes us through sufferings or consolations, right? <laughs> they said of Brother Lawrence, because he was a chef, he was a cook for the monastery, and they said the thing about him, how people realized that it was real, what he was talking about. He says it could, they said it could be the craziest moments in the kitchen. And this guy was just always composed, always in peace, and always in joy. And he was a good worker. <laughs> he, just, he just kept it together because the presence was the thing that he valued. And he just saw everything as unto the Lord. Everything was unto the Lord to him. He just didn't see a distinction. He was partaking of the nature of God. He was partaking of a divine nature. And so that nature became his. And listen, we can partake. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, you do not partake. It's the same word as the one in 2 Peter 1 verse 4. Do not partake of the sacrifices that was placed on the altars that was given unto idols. The point that I want you to see that the sacrifice speaks of the table or the table speaks of the altar, right? And we are to feast off of the table of the Lord off of the altar of the Lord, the altar of our worship, the altar of our praise. We must feast off of that. But, but the problem is that sometimes when, when even good people, we can actually start feasting on the idols that we created. Uh, and I mean, sometimes it's even good idols, ministries, people, uh, things, revelations, stuff, knowledge, uh, you know, learning, all of those, all of those things are good, but that cannot be what we feast from. We must partake of the nature of God. So it's about thinking about who he is and let that part feed you and become who you are. You know, the early church fathers, they believed that prayer, it was continual. Prayer is continual or habitual intimacy with God. It is immediate, intuitive contact with God, not only a conversation in words or thoughts. So it was something about my being that just kept connecting with the Lord day and night. It wasn't always words. It wasn't always that. Well, of course, it's necessary, but it was just a deep, constant connection with God that, that filled us over and over. And it didn't matter what you were busy doing. It didn't matter what it looked like. Yes, there's place for the closet. And please practice that. And we have to. We have to step into that hours in the word, hours in those things. But it has to become the daily desire. And it has to become a consistent, intuitive thing that we step into more and more. And, and as I speak of this stuff, like I said, I don't, have it, I don't have it figured out. But I know as I'm sitting here this, this whole day, I'm kind of just weepy. And I'm just like, this is what I need. This is what I need. I, I, this, is, this is where I want to go. I want to step into that place with the Lord where it's so out of my grid of understanding and where the experiences will come, the visions will come, the miracles will come. That's not the point. The point is this union with the Lord. The point is this place where I connect deeper than I've ever connected and where I actually become who he is, where I actually become 
the very nature of God, that perfect mirror, that perfect reflection on the earth, where creation starts responding, where sickness starts responding to me because I've been lost and I'm somebody who's one with the divine, right? This is the very thing that should be the burning desire in our hearts in this season above anything else that we can ask or dream. This is what Paul was speaking. I think Martin put it up there. It's Philippians 3. It's like, I want to be one with Dave. I want to be one with him in his resurrection. I, I want to know him. I want to reach this higher call, this upward call of God that is in heaven, by the way. It's a restoration into paradise. It's what Enoch did, where Enoch walked with the Lord, and he walked so well with God. He got this. He was so one that he disappeared. I mean, think about it. This guy literally disappeared into God. He disappeared into God. Like you couldn't see the difference anymore. It's like God, like, I don't know what's happening, but you look so much like me. Let's just skip death and just go on into this direction, right? Because it's done, right? That, that's kind of, that's the invitation. It's to look so much like him that death loses its hold on us. <laughs> that's the point. So that sickness loses its, its hold on us. That depression loses its hold on us because we are loved. We've become that very thing. So I, can I just pray for us now? Is that fine? So Lord, I just, I want to say, Lord, I don't even know how to say this, but God, this, this truth that's out there, Lord, this dream that you carried in your heart when you looked at the cross, when you looked at mankind, when you said you'll, you'll, you'll bleed for us, you'll, you'll be ripped open for us, where, where you said it is finished and that veil was ripped open so that we can live in the holy of holies, in the most holy place that that can become our habitation. What once was veiled is open to us now, Lord. And we become that temple. You are in us, Lord. And we are quickened by who you are. And we become partakers of the divine nature, Lord. I pray that something will switch in our insides tonight, that we will switch into the nature of God, that we will switch into the divine nature like never before, that something will open up, Lord. Come and break restrictions off of us, Lord. Lord, I pray that we will embrace the mystery around who you are. I pray that we will embrace like Moses did, Lord. In Exodus 24, 70 elders went up the mountain, Aaron and, 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 and all of them went up. They all feasted on that sapphire stone floor where you were at they ate with you on that mountain but only one went into a dark cloud and it was Moses and you called him a friend you communed with him face to face you showed him things that nobody else saw he knew you God he knew your glory he lived in your glory father we want to be those ones Lord we don't want to be afraid of the mystery we don't want to be afraid of the unknown but we want to break through the limitations and step through the mist and step into a greater understanding of our nature, Lord. We love you and thank you for grace, thank you for what you've done. Turn us into love, Lord. Turn us into that agape love that you walked with on the earth, Jesus. Who you are today, Lord, let us become agape. Let us become a love that knows no boundaries, a love that knows no limit, a love that heals, a love that raises the dead, a love that that serves a love that will wash feet, Lord, a, wife, 
love it will do whatever it takes lord let us be fully devoted fully immersed in you help us to step deeper lord help us to break through lord we want to see the manifestation of your prayer not just the verse but in manifest where you wanted us to see you you wanted us to see you in your glory on the earth you wanted that for all of us my desire my prayer is would you help us to leap into that lord i want this we want this the way you relate father son and holy spirit thank you that you pull us into that kind of a relationship to pull us into that kind of a walk lord overwhelm us with the grace to step into that overwhelm us with grace to get out of our understanding beyond knowledge in jesus name. i want you to shout it where you are just say we're going beyond knowledge in the name of jesus we're going beyond knowledge in the name of jesus we embrace the mystery of christ in us take us in lord take us into that place lord change our nature change our dna lord that oneness will be the most normal thing in the name of jesus in the name of jesus amen thank you for listening to this session we hope that you were blessed by it for more information about the ministry go to www.aflame.co.za or find us on Facebook and Instagram under Aflame Ministries. Until next time, be blessed in Jesus' name.